Dr. Bill, would you come up and talk to us just a second? Thank you, Larry. I want Dr. Bill just to... Things that we can do, we're, in, we're just in a crazy time with all these bugs and viruses going around. We don't live in fear, but we have to live in wisdom. We have to live in wisdom and balance. I want to go to Proverbs 19. That's one of my go-to things. Whatever the date is, that's the proverb I read in the morning. And there's so much wisdom there. And I think I've twisted Donna's arm, and she's doing it too. So <laughs> this will be an echo. But I just want to read verse 2 and verse 3. The best way to live is with revelation knowledge. Okay? Where do we get our wisdom from? And without it, we're lost. And it says, for without it, you'll grow impatient and run right into error. Larry just gave his testimony about his patience and not taking the first thing and running right into it, being impatient, but to seek what the Lord's plan was for his healing. And we praise the Lord for, for that marvelous healing. But verse 3, there are some people who ruin their own lives and then blame it all on God. All right, I'm not pointing any fingers, okay? But... We are fearfully and wonderfully made, okay? And if we take care and steward our bodies, then it's almost like we don't need a medical system, okay? And I love our worship this morning. We talk about what place does fear have in our life, okay? In Donna's message last Sunday, I watched it online. It was awesome. In Psalm 91, when COVID first came out, that was my go-to psalm. Susan and I read that every day and read it at night before we go to bed. And it was like, Lord, you are a big God. We're going to see thousands fall, but nothing's going to touch us. It will not affect me. Okay? And so we stand on that, but we also use wisdom. If we treat our body correctly and there are things we can do and these are tried and true for boosting our immune system okay which is a wonderful gift from God and it'll knock out most everything that comes after us I'm talking about zinc and vitamin D and vitamin C and quercetin and things like that that you can go online that will boost your immune system and act as a preventative for COVID Okay, so with revelation knowledge, you can do things about it. One of the things we prayed for over the last number of months is, Lord, expose the lies. What is the truth? And that's what we want. And we have been lied to by some of the institutions that we have learned to trust. And I'm sorry to say the parts of the medical profession the pharmaceutical industry, CDC, and the FDA, and our wonderful government. You know, and what we're told about COVID was there's no treatment. So you get it, here's some Tylenol, go home. If you get real sick, come on back. And the truth is, in the early stages of COVID, there are tried and true ambulatory outpatient treatment programs that will knock it for a loop, and the success rate is 85% of 
not having to go to the hospital when you're treated. Okay, 85%. But we're told there's no treatment. And that's ivermectin, and there are online protocols that you can go to. But that's all been hidden from you. Okay, there's been a concerted attempt to hide that there is a treatment for what we're going through. And I'm afraid the reason is so we can promote a vaccine, okay, and which I won't go into. But one of the other things we see is if you're not treated early, when you go to the hospital, you're in the inflammatory stage of the disease. The early part is the viral replication. Zinc and those sorts of things, ivermectin, will knock it out. It'll, it'll kill the virus within 48 hours, and this is proven, and there have been thousands of studies, and one doctor has had over a 1,000 patients. He's had one death, and they've been high-risk elderly patients with medical complications, okay? So it, it works. But when you go to the hospital with breathing difficulty, you're going to be put in a COVID ICU, and you're going to be eventually on a respirator. Okay, and the next step is you get a hospital protocol of a drug called remdesivir, and this is one of Fauci's favorites. Okay, he got it approved with very little evidence, and the evidence now is over 30 plus percent of people that get on it end up with multiple organ failure, particularly kidney failure. Okay, and and we've watched people in the church go through this, and it breaks my heart. Because, you know, when they hit the hospital and they're in ICU and they're on a respirator and the next thing they're on dialysis and the next thing they're, they're with the Lord, okay? And it doesn't have to happen. You need to know the truth. The truth you know will set you free. You have to have an advocate for your health. If you need help, there are many, many people in the church that can get you to the proper resources. But some of the cover-up is that doctors' prescriptions for ivermectin aren't being honored by the pharmacy. And I had that personal experience and wrote a letter to the North Carolina State Pharmacy Board, and they said, yes, that's perfectly legal. If the pharmacist doesn't like your prescription, he doesn't have to fill it. And I talked to a pharmacist at Walgreens. He said, well, I don't believe this stuff works, so I'm not going to fill your prescription. So we have to take the bull by the horns, be our own advocates, help each other out, and again, get after this thing. Take care of your immune system, okay? And the one thing, again, I'll reiterate, we do not walk in fear. This is a pandemic of fear. And fear cripples your immune system. It causes inaction, and it is a tool of the enemy and the exact opposite of faith. And we are people of faith, and we're going to stand on our God as our protector God and our healing God. And we will do what he advises us to do with the revelation knowledge that we have. So thank you, Lord. We give you all the thanks and the glory. You are an awesome God. And you are the great I am. Any need we could ever have, you are. You're our healer. You're our provider. You're our shepherd. Your banner over us is love. 
you're our sanctification, and as we'll celebrate in communion, you have redeemed us and sanctified us and cleansed us by the blood of the Lamb. And Lord, we are yours. You tell us that you have plans and purposes for our lives, and they're plans to help us prosper and give us a hope in the future. So Lord, we look to you for all of life. We look to you for our truth, and we look to you for revelation knowledge that we can walk in that and walk with you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Bale. Appreciate that. I just want to reiterate the, the, the place that we have fallen as a nation. Our granddaughter was diagnosed with COVID Friday. She lives in, she's a senior at ECU. And so, um, we got online and with connections we have and they, she could get, there's zero ivermectin in Greenville, she said. Zero. We know it works because we've had, we've experienced it. We've seen it ourselves. It knocks it right out. We've had children, grand people in the church. We know it works. And it has no side effects. So I call, uh, I have her prescription, so I call CVS. I'll tell you who it was because I'm so angry with them. There's such a thing as righteous anger. You know what? There's such a thing as righteous anger. And if we don't get righteously angry, nothing changes. I mean, yet we're so glad that people got angry about some things. Slavery, for example, we should have been, the church did rise up. That's why, that's why slavery eventually ended because of the reformation that took place before it. So I call there and I say, I've got, you know, do you have it before I come? And they said, uh, we won't fill it. And I said, what do you mean you won't fill it? Uh, unless there is a, she's a part of a clinical trial. I said, I have a, a legitimate prescription, a sick child, and you're telling me you will not fill it. Yes, is what they said. I said, I'll never step foot in your, in your uh, drugstore again. And I won't. I, enough people would rise up for this ridiculousness. So I did get it filled at Moose Pharmacy. It was $150, but I didn't care at that point. Who cares, right? But anyway, I mean, it's, it's, as you said, Dr. Bill, it's, it's, there's, there's a spirit that's taking over our nation. It's no longer the spirit of freedom. It's no longer a spirit of concern about people. It's about greed. It's about, it's about platform. I told you back in Jan, uh, January, the Lord spoke so clearly, and he said on January 20th, the, the throne of Baal was established in Washington. Let me, this is what we see. Abortion has been broadened. The gay agenda has been broadened. It's not, and you know, we love all people, but the fact is, don't push it down our throat. We don't, we don't accept sin just because it's been legitimized. We're not going to. Somebody turn the TV on, please, up here. So, my message today is putting the pieces together, understanding the purpose of the church. It's time for the church to be the church. It's time for the church to be the church. And the church has been equated with weakness and impotency over recent decades. In my lifetime, I've seen it change. The church used to have such respect. So it's time for the church to arise. It's, we, we, we no longer can be weak Christians. We, we, we seek God. We seek Him for wisdom. We seek Him for knowledge. How do we want us to respond? We don't go off half-cocked like a bunch of crazy people. We're not, that's not who we are. Who we are, we're children of the living God. We're sons and daughters of God. We have authority. We walk in this earth. And the only thing that has authority to, to push back the powers of darkness is the church. Yes. It's the only thing that has the authority. 
And, you know, we've talked for many, many years about ecclesia and the church and, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, God, you're taking me in this direction. But I believe it's because the messages we've been taught have not been caught and we've been walking around in this organization called church. When Jesus created the church in, in Matthew 16, he, he didn't say, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say I'm an organization. We've become an organization, a powerless organization. Jesus says, I am the way. It was a force. They were turning cities upside down. We can't even get people in the church turned upside down. Right? We've got to wake up church. And we've seen that that many approach church as simply another weekly activity that is optional in most cases. And what we've seen is that parents who view church as optional will often produce children who don't view church as even important. So it's very important. You say, well, it's just, is, is it just, you know, going to a ritual? No, it's not ritual. What we're, when I get up and we get in our car every morning, we're telling our neighbors something's important. God is important. We're telling people that God is important. We're, we're coming together as the body of Christ. We're gathering together. The Bible says, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together. So we're coming together to honor God. We're coming together to build strength from each other. I love what Dr. Bill had to say this morning. That strengthens me. That didn't it strengthen you? This is the purpose for coming together as a body of believers. We're supposed to be doing that. So I'm going to put you on notice. Don't text me again and tell me you're not coming to church because of this reason or that reason. Unless you're sick. Then we'll pray for you. Some of you know what I mean. There's a lot of reasons for not coming to church, but there's only one good one. You're sick. And then we'll pray and get... But honestly, you should come unless you're contagious, I guess. I've had people visit my home and they know we go to church on Sunday. They either go with us or they stay. I don't say, oh, well, I'm just going to take the day. I've had numerous texts like that. We've got company in this weekend. We're just going to stay in today. Bring them to church. I know this is hard, but I'm telling you, it's time we got hard, guys. The reason we're in the mess we're in is because the church has been wimpy. The church has not stood for what is right. We've not recognized God as God. It's time we quit being wimpy. you got to know who's going to be in the foxhole with you. And we show our, our colors. Who's going to be in the foxhole with you when the times get tough? And as I said, churches move from the way to an organization. And the organization has very little impact on the lives of people. It's become about a personality. It's become about a weekly social event. And it's not what it's supposed to be. In 2020, 205 million Christians are in this country who identify as Christians. Let me clarify that. 205 million people identify as Christians. 380,000 churches in the U.S. in 2020. That means there were at least 380,000 pastors. And let's just say we triple that. That means a million pastors. That leaves 204 million people that are identify as Christians that are not pastors. Yet everybody thinks that when they get born again, they come to the church, they get discipled, my work is inside the church. When there's 204 million people 
that need somebody to touch them. And that's not counting the lost. These are the, now let me tell you, 78% of those who, no, 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 no. 94% of those who identify as Christians really aren't, according to statistics. 94, 6% have a biblical worldview, according to recent research. So 94% of 205 million are deceived. What are we doing about that? Do we even care? So let me tell you, the biggest pulpit in this nation is the marketplace. That's the biggest pulpit in this nation, is the marketplace. Everybody gets saved, they think they're called to preach. Well, are you called to preach outside the doors, most likely? Most likely. So we have to, we need to get outside, and my goal today is to stir us up, to move outside the walls and into the streets and into the schools and into our places of employment. And why don't we do this? Because we've had wrong teaching. We have been taught wrong. We have been taught wrong. Let me look. I'm just going to look at a couple of scriptures first before I start. Luke 14, 16 through 24. Do you think Jesus runs into this at all? Jesus replied with this parable. There was a man who invited many to join him in a great feast. When the day of the feast arrived, the host instructed his servant to notify all the invited guests and tell them, come for everything is now ready for you. This is what's happening. Come, my presence is here. And we know we carry God's presence. I'm not saying that. I'm not belittling that. But the point is, when we come together, there's a manifest presence of God. There's a corporate presence that is so great. There's power here. And we see miracles happen. And so he said, I'm telling you, I'm inviting you to come. But one by one, they all made excuses. One said, I can't come. I just brought, bought some property and I'm obligated to go and look it over. Another said, please accept my regrets for I just purchased five teams of oxen. I need to make sure they can pull the plow. Another one said, I can't come because I just got married. The servant reported back to the host and told him of all their excuses. So the master became angry and said to his servant, go at once to the city and invite anyone you find, the poor, the blind, the disabled, the hunting, the hurting, the lonely. Invite them to my banquet. When the servant returned to his master, he said, sir, I don't have, I have done what you've said, but there's still room for more. So the master told him, all right, go out again and this time bring them all back with you. Persuade the beggars on the street, the outcasts, even the homeless, urgently insist that they come in and enjoy the feast so that my house will be full. Amen. I say to you all, listen to this, the one who receives an invitation to feast with me and makes excuses will never enjoy my banquet. There's some hard scriptures that we just don't like talking about. You know? Let's don't talk about that one because that might offend somebody. Well, maybe it'll offend them into getting into heaven. Right? We're so preoccupied with life. We get so distracted. And what is a distraction when it comes to our walk with Christ? It's something that's more important than he is that we deem that important. More important than he is. And so the parable is talking about more than church, but it's the principles of it. The principles of it. I've seen so many people come to the Lord, get born again, get on fire for God. Their life takes a total 180 degree turnaround. Suddenly they're too busy for God. So I've seen it happen through the 40 something years that I've served the Lord. Man's activities suddenly become more important than God's. I'm not here to, you guys should feel okay, you're here, right? And there are legitimate reasons. I'm not saying that. Believe me. I want to say another thing while I'm thinking about it. If every time you try to come to church, 
something happens, the devil's involved in that. I remember before I got born again, I, would, I knew I, I thought I had to go to church to get saved. I didn't know him better. I just knew I had to find God because he came to me in a couple of dreams. And so I thought I got to go to church and find him. For three Sundays in a row, my kids were sick on Sunday only. And even being a heathen that I was, I said, something's wrong with this picture. Somebody doesn't want me to go to church. So I said to the kids in my own, you know, unbiblical ignorance, if you're throwing up, we're still going to church. And you know, I didn't, the devil didn't bother me the next week. Went to church and I went to the little altar. I said, God, I need you. That's all I did. I didn't know how to pray a sinner's prayer. I just knew I needed God. Let me tell you, the devil does not want you to come to church. And when you get here, he wants to hinder you. Yes, he does. So many God moments we miss because we're too busy. I was thinking this morning. I was on a plane you know, a couple of weeks ago coming back from Jackson, Mississippi, where my nephew was. And the plane, they had said, the plane is filled. There are no empty seats whatsoever. And it was probably a 150. It was a big plane, whatever they are. And they kept coming on and coming on and coming on. I, I think I told you all this. But suddenly, we get. he said, the doors are closed and my seat beside of me is empty. I'm thinking, wow, this is cool. I thank you, God, that you gave me nobody beside of me. And I have an aisle seat, and so suddenly I feel an unction once we get in the air, slide over to the window seat. It was just a two, two seats on that side. So I slid over to the window seat, and then I heard, open the window. So I opened the window, and then I fell asleep. And coming as we were landing in Charlotte, I looked out of the window, and when I saw all those warehouses that looked like a Lego set, God spoke to me something so profound. You can read my blog and find out what it is. They spoke to me so profound. But you know what I realized? It was such a God moment. The plane could have been, I think God just kept the person off the plane. But what if I had said, no, I like, I really do prefer the aisle. I just like the aisle. Or I don't want the window. The sun was shining. It was too bright. See, it's those God moments that God, he, see, I, he spoke something so profound. We get so busy, we forget that God might be trying to talk to us. Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. How many times do we get that unction in the middle of the night or before we go to bed to get up and go into your prayer closet? Oh, God, I'll pray tomorrow. I'm tired. I've said it a hundred times. But I don't say it so much anymore. Because you never know. We, the, those incredible downloads that God gives to you, that he speaks to your heart because you took the time to step aside, just like Moses did. What did Moses saw the bush burning? And he said, and the Bible says when God saw that Moses turned to look at it, then God spoke to him out of the bush. Do we miss our burning bush moments? I think that might be another sermon soon. But let me tell you, we have, we have to examine our lives. Are we so preoccupied? What is your job description as a Christian? This is for every single one of us. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you're standing behind the pulpit. I don't care if you're working at Walmart or wherever you're working. I don't care if you're a teacher, police officer, doctor, lawyer. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21 says, And God made all things new and reconciled us to himself. This is your job description. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the ministry of reconciling others to God. In other words, it was through the anointing one that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions. And he has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. 
I don't care what we do in life, this is our job. And if you're teaching in a classroom, your job is to go into that classroom and bring, reconcile those students back to God. If you're working at Food Lion, your job is to reconcile every person on that staff back to God. Now use wisdom. Don't go in there like a, you know, blazing crazy person. You know, God deals with hearts, right? God deals with hearts. We pray, God, lead us to the hearts. He has told us so many times in, in, in our business. Now we have five offices at Genesis. He said, these are containers. These are containers. And he said, the people that come in, you're going to plant seeds in their lives. He said, but you've got to soak it in prayer because my prayer is what changes their hearts. So when you go to, when you go to work at Food Line or wherever you were, whatever you might do at school, pray for where you're working. God, minister to the hearts. Till up the soil. Give me the right opportunity. You need the God moments. You need to be able to hear the voice and say, now's the time to say this. Now's the time to do that. Because you can cause walls to come up. Use wisdom. Jesus didn't touch everybody that he walked by, right? He followed the, he followed the leading of Holy Spirit. And then it says, and he has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door. We are ambassadors of the anointed one who carry the message of Christ to the world as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. So we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf, turn back to God and be reconciled to him. For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us, so that we did not know right, so who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. Do you see the important role that we have? He's speaking to all Christians. This is the way, this is how cities are turned upside down. It's not happening in a building on Sunday morning. It's not happening. So what is the role of the ambassador? This is your name tag. Hello, I'm ambassador. An ambassador is a personal replacement or representative of the one sending them. It carries the heart and the desire of the sender. An ambassador has no other agenda other than the one who sent them. No other agenda. An ambassador carries the full authority of the one who sent them. They speak only on behalf of the one who sent them. And this is interesting. Ambassadors are often called back after a period of time so they do not become acclimated to the culture in which they're sent. It's interesting. They're always to represent the values and goals of the one who sent them and their kingdom culture. See, this is telling me as ambassadors of God, we've got to pull ourselves away and not become so contaminated with the world that we become like the world. And that's what's wrong with the church. Instead of the church changing culture, culture has changed the church. So we come in and we compromise because we want to appeal to everyone. I just want to appeal to Jesus. How about you? Then we can let him worry about the others. So we can often underestimate the value of the local church. It's so critically important. And it only loses value when it no longer represents what gave it value. Think about a dollar bill. It's only as valuable as its standard, right? When the value of gold drops, the value of the dollar drops. Well, when we no longer value Christ and God and the Word of God, then the value of the church drops. And we begin to send messages that are not accurate and we have confusion we have a nation that's crazy like we have today 
We have a nation that thinks it's okay to abort babies. We have a nation that thinks it's okay for men to become women and women to become men and then force you to believe that's okay. We were talking about this in our staff meeting Friday, and I said, this is the way it works. If you, if you stand up when you go to the bathroom, you're a man. If you sit down, you're a woman. That's all I need to know. Isn't it? I mean, it's kind of stupid that you'd have to say something like that, isn't it? So where does it all start? Okay, now this is my message. <laughs> that was the uh, introduction. Where does it all start? Let's go back to Acts 1. It says, in the very first book, this is Luke talking, in the very first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. That is so critical, we understand that. I'm giving you everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he was given commands to the Holy Spirit to his apostles whom he had chosen. Acts 1 and 2 frame the whole narrative of the entire book of the Acts and reveals the purpose of the church, and that is to continue to do what Jesus did and to teach what Jesus taught. That defines the entire narrative of who the church is, what the book of Acts is, what the word of God is. We are to teach and to do what Jesus taught and did. The purpose of teaching is not for intellectual knowledge. The Pharisees could quote scripture, right? But it was to give people guidelines for behaviors. The teaching was to result in a conformity of action or a life change. See, that's what a disciple is. A disciple is not somebody that comes to church on Sunday. A disciple is somebody that lives like Jesus. That's what a disciple is. It's kind of like speed limit signs. We have a speed limit sign that says 35 or whatever. So that is to inform us of the limit. But what happens if we exceed the limit? Oh, I didn't feel like driving 35. I was identifying as a 55 driver. (laughs) Well, I'm going to identify this with your ticket, and you're going to show up in court, right? And your insurance is going to go up. But we do the same thing. We put the Word of God out there. We don't understand that the Word of God are boundaries. It keeps us out of the ditches. It keeps us between. It's it's a boundary for life. And and the Lord told Moses that you do what this Word says, your life is going to go good with you. We've we've lived it for 42 years. I'm telling you, the Word works. The Word works. Whether you understand it or like it, it works. It works. Yes. Bless. That's right. He said, I set before you life and death, blessing, cursing. He said, you choose. Choose what you want. I've said this for two weeks now. I'm going to say it a third time. Anybody that's in here in, 100, in, a, in a, uh, 365 days or less, you can be 180 degrees turning in another direction if you choose. Totally convinced of that. But you choose. What do you want to do? Do you want life or do you want death? Do you want blessing or do you want cursing? It works. That's right. No matter how bad things are now. When I came to the Lord, I was so poor, I couldn't even hardly see. Couldn't hardly buy groceries. Couldn't do anything. Didn't have enough sense to get in out of the rain. And God took this dumb little kid and turned it around simply because I made a decision. I said, God, I'm going to believe what your word says, even though I don't understand half of it. I, but I chose to believe it. I chose to believe it. I, I could stay here all day and tell you what he has done. So the end result is in all the teaching would, would just should be a visible observation in the lives of people. People should know you're a believer, not because you tell them you go to, to the first church on the corner. They know you're a believer because you act differently. You talk differently. You think differently. You don't laugh at their jokes. You don't cheat. You don't lie. You don't steal. 
But before we can make disciples, we have to be equipped as disciples. And that is the function of the... This is why we need to be participating in a local church, a good local church. Now, if you're in a... Well, you're not here, but if you're listening, we have a lot of people that listen that aren't in our church. If you're in a church that's not teaching truth, get out of it. Find you one. We have people that could drive an hour and a half to come to church here because they say they can't find one that teaches truth. Now, I'm sure there's got to be some somewhere else, maybe. I think so. I hope so. God, we got to pray that. Golly, I'm a little bit worked up today just because of all we've been through over the weekend. That's okay, isn't it? All right, so it really starts in the local church, Acts 2.42. These are the principles for the church. The principles. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, to the breaking bread, and to prayer. Four principles that every church should have. These are principles. It's very important we understand principles. The apostles' teaching, this is first in priority. It's the guardian of the teaching and the traditions given by Christ. All else must flow through and from the teachings of Christ. Everything else we do in the church has to flow through and from the apostles' teaching, the word of God, the teaching. And, you know, there can be a lot of methods. We talked about this the other day in one of our studies. There can be a lot of methods, but methods don't necessarily equal principle. You know, for example, and methods can be okay. That's just a form of doing something, the way you do something. For example... There might be a method of worship. Some people might choose to worship with hymn books. That's okay. Some people might choose to, to operate with no instruments. That's okay if that's what they want to do. Some people want to operate with just hymns, uh, excuse me, with just choruses on the slides. That's okay, right? As long as our heart is here to worship God. So the methods are not as important as the principle, right? You know, why do they call Methodists Methodists? Because it's their method of devotion, right? I have a friend who's a Methodist pastor. But when we get into war over the methods, we've sacrificed the principle. When we get into war over the methods, we have sacrificed the principle. I'm leaving that church because they don't use hymn books. Well, find you one that does. Just keep your mouth shut in the meantime, right? Don't be critical. Well, I like choruses. Well, find your church that, teach, that sings choruses. It's all about what's in the heart. Are we here to worship God? Are we here just to demand our own way? It's very important. There's a lot of different methods of teaching. You, know, you think about, you know, you have Bible studies, you have Sunday morning, you have small groups, you can do through the Internet. There's a lot of different methods of teaching, right? But the principle is, are they teaching this book right here? So you see, we can, we can run into a lot of different things where we get all caught up in a lot of, lot of crazy stuff and, and it's a religious spirit that would make us, you know, get upset because we're not doing it a certain way. So we have to, we have to be very careful about that. Fellowship, that's participation. It's the act of sharing in the activities or privileges of an intimate group of people, a common religious experience. That's what fellowship is. It also has the meaning of sharing resources. Remember in the, in the New Testament where it said that nobody had need of anything because if somebody had a need, somebody else would meet the need. That's what a church does. That's what we do here. You guys have done it so well, so often. And then the breaking of bread refers to the Lord's Supper. And then prayer, a devotion to prayer observance. But everything that's done has to flow through the authority and the boundaries of the apostles' teaching, the Word of God, which is the Word of God. Okay? So, why do we operate this way? Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. We've taught this so many times, but I just felt like we've got to get back to this 
basic principles of what the church is supposed to be doing. See, when you leave here, you really become the church out there. Yeah, you become the church out there. On your job, you are the church. It's not just when you're here on Sunday morning. On your job, you're the church. And and when you go shopping, you're the church. But he says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete stature of Christ. And that word equip means to regulate, to order. We were on, we had a, a session with Barbara yesterday, Barbara Wintrouble, and she, we were talking about this scripture, and she was telling us that Ron Cottle recently taught that that word really means to align. So you think about this, the, the responsibility is to align God's people to do the work of the church, which what she was saying was is putting people in the right place to recognizing their gifts, their talents, so they and equipping them to go out and do what God has called them to do, which it still carries that concept of equipping. We equipped, we align, we regulate. Regulate's very important. You don't let just any kind of wild hair doctrine out. You teach people so when they go out there, they're not teaching heresy. Right? Which is what's going on a lot. I kind of look at churches like the practice field. We come in here and we practice. We come in here and we get filled up like you go to a gas and you go out and what do you do? You get to the main game on Friday night or whenever, Monday morning at 8 o'clock. That's when the main game starts. And how do we do that as a church? These are just some of the things that we do. We, you know, the discipleship. We have to have a discipleship model. I tell our staff, everything we do, ask yourself, are you making disciples or are you just spinning wheels? Are you having fellowship or are you making disciples? You can do them all together, right? When you're having our youth, are you making disciples or just having a good time teaching them how to have fun at church? Let's make disciples. When they go into the schools, they need to be armed. They need to be armed when they go into the schools because our kids are encountering things that we have never had to encounter. We have our, we, of course, we have our, all of our teaching that we do here. We have fellowship. We have the next generation. We have mentoring in small group. We have social media ministry. We have family growth and, and development, family stewardship, facility stewardship and administration and other things. And all of these can blow out to many different things. So these are just some of the things that we at Impact are doing to reach our community. But once we, we have to build the body before we can get to Matthew 28 that says, now go and make disciples. See, we have to equip people before we can say, go and make disciples. You don't get them born again and say, okay, now I want you to go out and witness tomorrow. That's the last thing they need to be doing. They need to learn. They, you know, they need to be taught. On October 3rd, Duke, you still good for that? October 3rd, we're starting at 9 to 9.30 on Sunday morning, a very basic Bible class. Because we're seeing new people come into the, to the family of God that haven't been taught. So Duke's going to be, she's an incredible teacher. We're going to be, we're going to be teaching that. Pastor Dan has incredible class on Wednesday night just to build up the body. He's, and, you know, he's a great teacher. And we need to be taking opportunity. And, and then, you know, if we don't understand the purpose is to equip me to go out and do things that I need to do for the Lord, it was just another church service, just something else to take my time. It's really not that. We're going to be offering some online snippets of teaching, video teaching. We're going to be doing a lot, but I'm t- we've, got, we've got to get the body of Christ equipped I'll tell you what, I I told you this, I think, last week, what the Lord spoke to me. Because of what's coming, 
The church has got to get closer to me than ever to handle what's coming. You say, well, that sounds negative. I'm telling you what I heard. It's the same God that spoke to me last March and said, you're Goshen people. The same God that said, you're in a Joseph season. Barbara prayed and prophesied that over us yesterday. You're, Joseph, you're in a Joseph season. What does that mean? It means there's going to be a time of prosperity, but there's a time of famine coming. We've got to be prepared. And we have to use wisdom. We have to have the, the mind of God. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. I'm going to bring this out a little more. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the world. So the principle of the church is to make disciples. The goal of the disciple is to pattern their life after Christ. The methods are the tools that we use by incorporating the gifts that are in the local body. Everything, I believe, flows out of the local church. I believe that. I believed it for 40-something years, well, before I was ever even thinking about a pastor. I've always said everything flows out of the local church if the local church is healthy. If it's not healthy, run. Seriously. I'm just telling you, we can't play game. We can't play anymore. We can't play anymore. And you gotta have you gotta have enough relationship with God that when somebody gets up and they give this prophetic word, you gotta know if it's really God or not. There's a lot of prophetic words that have gone out over the years, over the year, this past year, and some have been right on, I believe, and some have been right off. But I'm going to give you that scripture again in the complete Jewish Bible. And I want you to listen to this. This is powerful. It says, Therefore go and make people from go and make people from all nations into Talmudim, which is the plural for disciples. Talmud is the plural for disciples. So go and make people from all nations into disciples. Immersing them into the reality of the Father, the Son, and the Ruach HaKadosh. We've got to immerse them into the reality of who God is. God is not just somebody that's way up there. He's somebody that lives in, in, inside of us. He's somebody that guides and directs every step. He speaks to us. He guides and directs us. The Holy Spirit is real. The Holy Spirit's what's going to wake you up. Who's going to wake you up in the middle of the night saying, go get up and go pray for this person, pray for that child, pray for this person in church? Pray for your job. Pray for yourself. You're going in a wrong direction. I told you last week we had somebody that resigned and we thought this is not the time to resign. We're trying to find people. And I was praying about it and the Lord said, let it alone. This is my doing. Don't interfere. I'm telling you, we can make some wrong steps if we're not careful. So I let it alone and it's good. So disciples are not just intellectual head knowledge disciples. They're not just people that can quote scripture then and they don't know Jesus. See, they're people that are immersed in the reality of who he really is. The reality of Holy Spirit. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna read, I'm gonna close with this quote and then we're gonna do communion. We're gonna receive communion. I thought this was so powerful. It's by David Brisbane. But he talks about what a true disciple is. It says, when we read disciple or follower in our New Testament versions, the Aramaic word behind the English, behind the Greek, is Talmud or Talmudim, in the plural. That there, uh, there really is no concept in contemporary Western thinking as an analog for a Talmud. 
We translate it as a disciple or follower, but there's no place in our culture for someone who voluntarily seeks to fully identify with his or her master in all areas of life, who dedicates his or her life to becoming like the master in every way. To try to get the idea across, there are analogies of a trade uh, apprentice who spends years with the master craftsman or the soldier at boot camp whose own identity, along with clothes, hair, and everything else that is personal and individual, is stripped away to be replaced by that of the soldier. But even these fall short. Let me tell you, there's a difference in a believer, a true believer. There's a difference in the way they act, they talk, they dress, they walk, everything. There is. I'll leave it at that. It's for another day. When Jesus tells us to go make disciples, Talmudim, of people throughout the world, he is calling us to first dedicate ourselves to the task of living, eating, sleeping, working, playing, loving, suffering, bleeding, and breathing every moment of our life with God so that his deepest purposes become ours, or better, that we become his purpose. Only then can we encourage and show others all others, to do the same. We try to make disciples without being disciples. How many of us have fully committed our life, have stripped away everything that we we only want what Jesus wants? We only think like he thinks. In this culture, there's so much competition. Our young people, there's so much competition. There's so much self-focus. Even in the church, there's so much self-focus. What's in it for me? Am I going to get my name on the marquee? How much am I going to get paid? He goes on to say, In many ways we have become contractual Christians. We've made the mistake of thinking that evangelism is limited to simply converting people to a certain system of belief. Jesus' gospel is a dynamic call to a way of life and not simply a contract that we sign in which we agree to believe a certain creed in return for which God agrees not to send us to hell. And after which all that remains is not to breach the contract before we die. The way of life Jesus' gospel is calling us toward is nothing less than the practice of the presence of God in our lives. Bonhoeffer said it, I think uh, Wesley said it, Jesus calls you to come and die. When you get called to become a believer, he calls you to come and die. Die to everything that's in the world. Die to the flesh. We have so many Christians that struggle with addictions and bondages simply because they have not crucified the flesh. And let me tell you, you can do it. Holy Spirit is greater than any of this. This is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the awareness of Emmanuel, of God with us, as discussed in the next article on kingdom, which is not here. This Talmud, this person of the way, is so fully identified with the Father as to now think and act like him. Unlike the perfect love and unconditional acceptance of God, which is free for the taking, what we call salvation, this process and life of the Talmud that we call sanctification, making holy, setting apart for God, is hard work. Work out your salvation, Jesus, Paul said, with fear and trembling. It's especially painful at first when the process of dying to yourself is taking place. That is like the soldier at boot camp letting fall your clothes, hair, habits, thought patterns, and everything else that you think makes you. But it only hurts for a while and really only as much as you resist the process. David Brisbane. Powerful, powerful, powerful. 
Jesus said he is the way. When we, make, when we offer activities here at Impact, we're offering them for you to become a disciple. We're offering them for you to have an opportunity to move closer, to be more, to be more like him. It's not just so we have something to do on Wednesday nights, something to do on Saturday morning, something to do on Friday nights. We pray every Friday night. Every Friday night. We need your prayers. Well, I can pray at home, but it's, we need your prayers. Come together and pray. If you follow a devotion of prayer that was in the New Testament, we really want to be New Testament Christians. You'd pray about three times a day. You come to the temple every day and pray. They came to church every day. If we, if we want, yeah, but I don't like that part. I just want to do this part. I just want to do the part where I get to eat with everybody. Let's stand. I don't know about you, but I got convicted reading this reading this yesterday. Because I'm always saying, God, I just want to be like you. Show me everything. I did that one day. I said, just, Lord, I just want to make a list of everything I need to work on. I had like three pages in about 30 minutes. Attitudes, just the little things. The unforgiveness, the arrogancy, the pride. Look at me. What am I doing? I'm, I'm in charge. I got to get all the credit. As soon as, we get, as soon as we get that type of mentality, it's over. You might as well sit down and do nothing because it's not going to work. You're just taking up space. I tell our staff that all the time. Don't ever come and say it's important that I get credit. Let me tell you, God will give you credit. I want to take just a moment. I just want you to process where you are. See, it's between you and God. It's between me and God. Where are you in this walk of being a disciple? Do you walk like him? Do you think like Christ? Is getting attention more important than following and being obedient? Where are you in the process? Are you willing to take what you have and give to someone who doesn't have? That's what disciples do. Oh, but I'm saving for this new car. And you have three sitting in your driveway. You follow the leading of the Lord. We've given away two cars. I'm not saying that to boast. I'm just saying because God said do it. If he told me to do it again, I'd do it again. He usually waits till they're paid for first, though. moment. God, we just want to be still in your presence. Speak to our heart, Holy Spirit. Show each one of us individually. God, you love each person in here with such a fervent love. It's your desire, Lord. It's your intent, Lord, to only do good for us. God, you know the plans you have for everyone in this place. And the one thing that's hindering so many is the fact that we will not surrender fully to you. We cannot be all you want us to be unless we are everything you are. Forgive us, God, for our selfishness. Forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for our self-focus. Forgive us, Father God, that we had to have all the attention. Forgive us for our greed. Forgive us for our apathy. Forgive us, Lord, for valuing inconvenience more than we 
value a person. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for the many times you've called us and we've refused to answer. I remember when I first got born again, the first thing the Lord said was, I want you to get up early in the morning and pray. And I'd get up every morning and pray, every morning, every morning. This went on for several years. And then suddenly, I got real busy. So I might hit two or three mornings a week. And I remember I was walking through my house, and I heard in my spirit, I missed my time with you. And I'm saying, that's not God. I come to church that Sunday, and a lady sings a song, and it was entitled, I Miss My Time With You. And I wept. Forgive me, God. God, let us make time for you. God, we don't want you just to fit into what's left over. We want to create time for you and everything else can fit in. So, Lord, as we take communion, Father, we are, you said as often as we will to do this in remembrance of what you've done, Lord Jesus. And what you have done is you have created a body, a body of believers that have been filled and infused with Holy Spirit. You've given us power to walk in victory. You've also promised us, Lord, that by the stripes on your back, we are healed and whole. And God, we take this on behalf of that promise for the many who are struggling in their bodies with sickness, the COVID. It has to go in Jesus' name. It's out of the pit of hell. And you said we can bind on earth what has been bound in heaven. And we bind that foul disease. We bind that foul virus from interfering with your people. You said a thousand will fall at our side, 10,000 at our right hand. No plague will come nigh us. God, we declare your word over this church and over your people. We pray for those that are sick, that they have speedy recovery. Thank you, God. And we partake of this wafer, fully confident that you are who you say you are. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, now we take the juice, which represents the blood of Jesus. By your blood, we have peace with God. By your blood, we have remission of sin. And God, regardless of how negligent we have been before today, God, this juice represents the blood that cleanses us from all sin, all shortcoming. We thank you, Father, for it. As I was praying, I felt in my spirit that the Lord wanted me to ask you to do something if you want to. And that is that maybe you recognize or realize that you haven't really been the full disciple as has been described by this gentleman. I don't even know who he is. I just read it. I want something that came up on my book. Maybe you say, I've not been the full disciple that I should be. I've not laid it all down. But I want to be. I want to be. And I just felt that the Lord say, if you really want to do that, make a visible public act that, hey, God, I want to be everything I can be. I'm willing to lay everything aside. I'm willing to start fresh and new if I have to. God, I just want to be everything that I need to be. I want to be fully, 100% committed to you. And if that's you, I just want 
I just want you to take a step forward. It's just a public confession is all that it is. Public confession. Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy God. God, we just want to be everything you said we can be. Lord, we all fall short. Not a one of us haven't fallen short. But God, you're so filled with compassion and mercy and grace in our lives, Holy God. You're so filled, Father God, to overflowing, Lord, with love for your people. And God, we're making this public confession today that today is a new day. September 19th, is what it is? 2021, we're putting a drawing a line in the sand. God's going to tell some of you some things you've got to let go of. He's going to speak to you individually, things you have to let go of. I told you in May, he told us, turn off the television. We haven't had it on since May 31st. Major change in our life. And we, I mean, I've said it before, we only watched maybe an hour a day, and that was going to sleep at night. But I'm telling you, it made a difference. We're hearing God more. We're waking up more. We're, it's, it's, it's beautiful what we're experiencing. God, I thank you for that. But he may tell you to do something different. Whatever it is, God is going to, He wants to lead and guide and direct you. It is His good pleasure for you to inherit everything He has. It's His good pleasure. He wants to give us so much. He wants to give us so much. Remember last week we said it's those that are in the secret place that all those promises of Psalm 91 belong to. If you're not in the secret place, don't go quoting Psalm 91 all over yourself. That's right. That's arrogancy. As saying, I'm going to live like I want to live, but I want the blessings of God. That does not work. Does not work. He might tell you you need to get rid of some relationships in your life. We've had to do that a time or 300. Seriously. We were, again, with Barbara, as we were talking with her yesterday, she said, again, reminded us, find people that celebrate you and don't just tolerate you. Find people that will celebrate who you are. See, our job as pastors of the church is to find out who you are that God made you into and to help you to become that person. Not for our benefit, but for the kingdom's benefit. And that might be that God says, I want them to go out and do something else outside the church. That's good. That's good. Too many pastors want to cling to everybody. Oh, you can't go outside the church. You've got to stay in here with me. No, God might be calling you outside the church. He might be calling you to go to another church. He might be calling you to start a church. We've got to know what God has called us to do. I heard something in my spirit a few minutes ago, and I've been debating and just waiting to make sure God wanted me to share this. Uh, on nine thirteen, the Holy Spirit spoke something to me during the night, and I heard that same sentence spoken by another prophetic voice this weekend so i'm going to read this and i'll tell you what the holy spirit spoke to me change is coming great change is coming what is on the near horizon will truly amaze you the change that is coming is all good it will be as though you are consuming a delicacy And it will be overwhelmingly pleasing to you. But I heard standing there a while ago, change is coming. The change will either be overwhelmingly blessing or it will destroy you. That's our individual choices. That's where our heart 
connection is with God. If our heart is connected to the Holy Spirit, the change will be so good, it will be like consuming a delicacy. And it will be overwhelmingly pleasing to us, to our taste. Or it will destroy us. That's Where's our heart? Where's our heart in pursuit of God? I want to change that's so good. It's like eating the best dessert on the planet, Dr. Bill. That's sugar-free. Yes. Susan's shaking her head Chocolate. no. There's no such thing. Can you imagine change that's so good? The taste is just, oh, it's so good. That's what I want. Holy Spirit's offering that to us. He really is offering that. But, he, but I'm telling you, he's looking right here in our heart. We can't deceive ourselves and think, I'm, I'm going to take that when our heart's not pursuing God. That reminds me, remember in, in the uh, Samuel when the Philistines captured the ark? The same presence of God that blessed the Israelites destroyed the Philistines. Wow. Remember that? Wow. Caused tumors and all these other things. The same presence of God. Then he goes to Obed-Edom's house, and what happens? He becomes so prosperous that they're running to David, and they're saying, hey, something's going on at Obed-Edom's house. The presence of God is there, and they're so prosperous that it's visible. You have something you want to share? Follow-up to what Terry said in from Proverbs 19 again. When you live a life of abandoned love, that's why we're standing here. We want to live that life of abandoned love before the Lord. Surrendered before the awe of God. Here's what you'll experience. Abundant life, continual protection, and complete satisfaction. Mm, that's good. Wow. You know, the incredible thing about it's so it's such a great journey that we're on. Yes. You know, we never really arrive until we see him. There's always room for growth. There's always room for change. There's always room for improvement until we see him. Then we're going to be just like him. But isn't the journey fun? I love it when Holy Spirit points out stuff to me. And I say, oh, thank you. Because you know what? When he points it out, he said, now let's fix it. Now let's move on past it. It's never, oh, you bad person. That's the devil does that. God is filled with hope. Yeah, you've had a little bad attitude. Let me tell you, Friday I had a wrong attitude. I told Pastor Zach. I was so angry Friday when I was talking to that CVS person. And I said, I thought things that I don't think. I said things I don't say. I wanted to go out and rent me a cusser, but I couldn't find one. Because I don't cuss. But that's where I was. And then the Lord, he let me have a day with it. And then he began to say, you know, that really wasn't you. And so my thing is, okay, God, I've got to get to the place where nothing moves me. See, I've got to get to where nothing moves me. And I'm not there, obviously. <laughs> Circumstances don't affect God. I, I just ministered this last week. We have to live above the circumstances. So I had a little show and tell. So I thank God. I'm so thankful because I'm excited that next time I have this opportunity, I'm going to do better. 
So, Lord, you see all your precious people. They're standing here. Lord, they just want to be like you. They want to be more like you. They're saying, I'm laying it all down. I pray, God, you continue to reveal to us what we need to see individually. You said in Psalm 138 that you perfect everything that concerns us. God, I thank you for that, that you know us individually, that you created us in our mother's womb. You know every gift, every talent, every thought that you have for us. God, I thank you for it. And Lord, we just pray blessing upon every person here, every person watching in Jesus' name. Amen. I thought about